one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay lord i know i read over in the book while ago where it said the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god and if we don't have the things of the spirit of god no one is speaking anyhow and so we ask that you'd prepare us in mind and soul and humility and to first admit that we know nothing as we ought to know it. And after we have um, done everything that we know to do, we're still to declare publicly that we're unprofitable servants. And so, Lord, we need mercy and help and wisdom today to bring the message and give to us an audience that will furnish the good ground where the seed shall go and then grow and bring forth a harvest. And we'll praise thee for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4. Now, it goes without saying that we're living in the day of Medicare, hospitalization, miracle drugs, modern medicine, modern science, and tremendous disease and sickness, such as no generation has ever seen in the history of the world. There's never been as much sickness in America as there is right now. Now, why? With all of our hospitals, drugstores, and with all of the modern remedies for sickness, what does the Bible have to say about it? Let me introduce my message, and this will put the fat in the fire early. A lady talked with me this week, and she said it's been 32 years since I had a meal of meat, and she's 84 years old and going strong. I'm going to get the doctors on my side today, finally. I'm going to get the natural men over on my side today. I'm going to let them take it. I'm preaching this morning on a text found in 2 Kings chapter 4. This is the story of the preacher that uh, nobody wanted. Fact is, in his first evangelistic crusade, where he went into the city that was filled with bitterness. And every preacher ought to sweeten up the saints and make the sinners a little more bitter until they get right. I don't know how to sweeten up a Christian without putting bitterness in the lost man. Might as well face it, boys. Jesus didn't win any popularity contest for telling them what was right. And you're not either. Human nature is rebellious and deadless and depraved president of war. And I'm not courting the approval or the applause of the gallery this morning if the gallery is filled with the world. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll stand before God with my right hand raised to heaven and say I plead guilty to saying what I said on that Sunday morning down there in Corpus Christi. And I believe he'll smile at me and say that's right. And as long as he gives me his smile of approval, you can grin, frown, cuss, raise cane, but you'll meet this coming back at the judgment seat of Christ. The preacher went into the town. They said, oh, listen, we're having 
trouble. We're having trouble. Verse 39, one went out into the field to gather herbs and found the wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full and came and spread them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. I notice they went out into the fields to gather herbs. Nobody ever goes herb gathering anymore. You never find a doctor recommending herbs anymore. They used to. When drugstores started out, they were filled with herbs and natural remedies. Not anymore. Go in the average drugstore. I noticed this. Ms. Olaf and I were talking yesterday. The health food stores are moving into the grocery stores. The grocery store is the last ones to take it up, and they're only doing it because of necessity. Most of their food is dead, refined, civilized, and delight, and it has to sit on the shelf months on end in order to make a profit. If it spoils, and any good food will spoil. If it won't spoil, don't eat it. When they take the life out of it, it won't spoil. But it'll take the life out of you when you eat it and make no contribution to your health. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. That's an old-fashioned subject, isn't it? Death in the pot. That's where it is. You say, what pot? The cooked pot. The one sitting on top of your stove. That's where death is. Now, don't you tune me out, because you'll die a long time before you're supposed to if you do. Anybody with a spindle full of sense knows that the more you cook anything, the deader it is. And God is not stupid. God is all-wise, all-powerful. And when he gets through cooking something, it's cooked. And when God started man off, he started them off eating the fruit of the ground, herbs, Grapes, whatever vegetables, berries, apples. Now then, I got a good laugh this week. A very prominent preacher on the radio said, You know, when man started out, he did not eat meat. And that's right. He did not eat meat. Man was not a flesh eater when he started out. God killed no animal for man to eat. He did kill an animal for man to get some clothes because man had sinned. And he went on to say that man did not eat meat until after a while, after the curse had come, he permitted man to eat animals. And he said probably because he had a more vigorous task. Harder work to do. And so God said, okay, you better go get you some protein now. And the preacher said, and that sounds plausible to the world, but it doesn't make real sense. I mean real physical strength sense. It doesn't make sense. I know some of you are breathing a little uneasy this morning, but God uh, knew, knew what he was doing when he made man. And uh, God hasn't changed his mind about anything. And I want to come up to something here. I think here it is. This is what I've been saying for years. The doctors, finally. New York Associated Press. And I'm sure this is just as much as I'm standing here. The number one cancer builder is meat and flesh. Got to be. This got to be. 
The more America's eating meat, the more cancer she's dying with. It's coming from flesh that's been diseased. Your antibiotics, calf livers, chicken livers, cow livers, stock livers, that's the thing that purifies what goes in. And the doctors say you better eat liver. You better eat liver. Notice what they say right here. A Cornell University scientist says the high-protein diet of Americans may be linked to the high incidence of cancer in the United States. If he wasn't afraid of tradition, he'd said no doubt it is. One of the waste products of protein digestion is ammonia. You ever heard of that? Sure. The soils, the animals. A substance that is harmful to man and animal, said Dr. Willard J. Vysick of the New York State College of Agriculture, and life sciences at Cornell. His remarks were in a paper prepared for presentation today at the annual meeting of the American Chemical Society. You may not know it, but the chemical boys just about own America now. The chemical business is a multi-billion dollar business now. And when you run into the chemicals, and I'll promise you one thing, your body will never live on chemicals. And the power, and I'll tell you something else that I'm afraid of. And that's these high-powered detergents that you folks don't get off your dishes when you wash them. It'll eat you up on the inside. I'm scared to death, if I'm scared of it, of the detergents that are so powerful, they'll cut grits and eat up anything, and they'll eat up the lining of your stomach, too. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about it? How much meat did Jesus eat? He ate only one kind of meat that you know of, and that's fish. Only kind. Was Jesus ever sick? Did Jesus ever, did he send word to Mary and Martha? I would have been there, but I got sick. I had a cold. I caught a cold. No. He ate right. I'm as sure as I'm standing here. If Jesus had eaten wrong, he'd have lived in sin. Because he'd have violated his word. And he couldn't have been my savior. That's how fierce it is. Even though I do not believe in dietary salvation, we need to do some studying and thinking about this business of sickness. We cut off the doctors just like the world does. We live just like the heathen live a lot of times. And so, uh, I believe there's some real death in the thought. You know, I got an article here that somebody wrote. I wish I could find it. Uh, here it is right here. Your body really is everybody's business. That sounds strange, doesn't it? This is written to this popular uh, lady that puts out uh, things in the paper, in response to former readers and all others who insist that what they do with their bodies is their own business. Now, that's this new freedom out today. If I want to destroy my body, it's my business. If I want to smoke cigarettes, it's my business. If I want to drink liquor, it's my business. If I want to take care of it, that's my business. I mean, now, wait a minute. Now then, yes, it's your business, provided no one else, ever has to pay financially, emotionally, or otherwise for your rations. So long as your parents are putting your bills, your body is their business. Dial it up, and they must pay to straighten it and you out. Even after you sever parental apron strings, if you foul up your body with alcohol or drugs or some other uh, damnable foolishness and someone else, the public, your spouse or your children, has to pay in money, hardship, or mental anguish, your body is not entirely your own business. I'm fed up 
with paying taxes to support wives and children of alcoholics and drug addicts, and I'm tired of paying for public-sponsored medical and psychiatric treatments for people who've chosen to wreck their lives. I'm fed up with paying high insurance rates because of drivers who are addicted to alcohol or dope, and with supporting enormous police forces to combat crime due resulting such, uh, from such addiction. The only person whose body is absolutely his or her own to treat foolishly is one who's self-supporting, has no relatives, no friends, no dependents, and is completely exiled from civilization. An old square in Cincinnati signed like that. What do you think about that? Now, when a man gets right with the Lord, filled with the Spirit of God, he doesn't need all that junk anymore. No, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And uh, I believe there's death in the pot. There's death in the pot at the drugstore. You'll never get health in the drugstore. Never will. You'll never get well going to the drugstore. There's not any drugs that'll heal. There's no healing in medicine. The healing has got to come from natural means and remedies. Got to come because that's what God used. God will never resort to man-made manipulations for his healing. Now, we have a chiropractor in our church. I'm not against his ministry. He's a good Christian. Helps a lot of people. And uh, he uses natural methods and, and uh, seeks to help people and does. And he's a real friend of ours. One of the greatest friends we have. And in, in a way, he's my son in the Lord. Had a part in winning he and his wife to Christ, and we loved him dearly. But if he were to recommend a bunch of miracle drugs and a bunch of medicine, I would not endorse that. There's death in the pot in the drugstore. Our drugstores have prospered, and our uh, American, American uh, Medical Association has prospered. And uh, a man came to me the other day, who was it? And said, Brother Olaf, I went to the doctor, he gave me a prescription. My wife and I went to get it filled, and one prescription was 50-some-odd dollars. He called it in. I told the drugstore man, I said, I do not have that kind of money, and I'm sorry. I cannot pay for it, and they walked out. Medicare has increased hospitalization costs. It's increased medicine costs, and yet it's not met the need today. Now then, this death in the pot. The hospital, the average hospital is filled with cigarette smoke drugs, and it's become a modern butcher shop, and you know it. Now, somebody's going to have to wisen up and smarten up a little bit and go to living by the word of God. A man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, every word. I believe that the Bible has every answer that we need today. We've gone overboard on cattle, flesh-eating, animals, and the things that they're fed. We've tanned our good farmland in the pasture land when we ought to be farming. We ought to be eating out of the soil instead of running it through the cow and then putting it on the table later. When all of the diseases that's coming upon uh, the cattle today. Now then, I'm going to give you some conclusions that I want to make today. Uh, I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26 and verse 14. I'd say that the number one healer, of course, is water. And the next healer would be fasting, just fasting. Mother Nature knows how to go to work on the inside, which, of course, is God's uh, main helper. 26 and verse 14. 
You said, Brother Rudolph, I don't know when to fast, all right? Let me tell you what you did in the Bible. In times of great sin and trouble and violence and crime and, and when, the, when the sentence of death had been passed upon a city, they all fasted. None of them fasted, didn't they? Preacher went over there and, and uh, preached uh, about 40 days. In the less than 40 days, the city had been revived, people been faced. They fasted in time of great condemnation from God. Now, when, uh, when Nehemiah found that his hometown, Jerusalem, had the walls torn down, burned, and flat on the ground, the people exposed to the judgment of the wicked heathen nation, they fasted. When uh, Queen Esther was in the king's palace, and Mordecai and all the Jews had had the sentence of death passed upon them, and they were already killed, what did they do? They fasted. They didn't make any appeal to the government, they fasted. You know when we ought to fast? In the first place, when we're sick, we ought to fast. When you lose your appetite, you sure ought not to eat. You ought to fast. When you're not hungry, you ought to fast. When you're in sorrow, you ought to fast. Deuteronomy 26, verse 14, I've not eaten thereof in my morning. I quit eating when I got in sorrow. And yet that's the very time everybody brings hog joes and hams and cakes and pies and everything and choke everything down you when you're in sorrow. Isn't that right? Oh, sure, sweet neighbors, bless their hearts, they mean well. Everybody and his dog comes over out of a whole bucket of something cooked and boiled and smeared and smashed and seasoned and everything else and said, Honey, you must eat now. The service will be in a little while and I want you to build up your strength now. So they go into the table, they're full of tranquilizers and pills and their eyes look like buttermilk and they don't want nothing to eat and everybody gathers around them and said, Come on, honey. You know, you're in sorrow, and I know you must eat. No, they ought not. They ought to stay in the room and pray and read the Bible and trust God to get them ready to give a witness at the funeral service. You say, why don't you practice? You give me an opportunity, and I will practice it, buddy. You'll never get me to lean on a, a bunch of hog meat or cow meat or anything else to build up my strength in my time of sorrow. I'll go to God in that. I'll tell you, some other time we ought to fast when the revival meeting's on. That's the time everybody wants to feed the preacher three or four times a day. Come on over to our house now. Come over tonight after service. We've got chocolate pie and pizza pie and every other kind of pie. Come on over. We'll fellowship. Next morning can't wake up good. Eyes glued together. Bunch of stupid outfits. No wonder we have no revivals anymore. The old prophets walked alone, lived alone, but they packed the power of God. And when they came out of the hiding place, the whole country heard about it. And they said, a prophet's been through here. Oh, that old man's been with God somewhere. They took knowledge of them that they've been with Jesus. Most of us so busy trying to satisfy and stop the growlings of our selfish stomachs, we don't have time to pray anymore or read the Bible or fellowship with God. Sick we are. Oh, diseased we are. Little children I read this past week where many little babies are being born with cancer now. Don't have to wait till they get 60 or 70 for their body to decay. It decayed when they're born. That's when you girls ought to get some sense about eating. When you get married and you build a baby, I mean by the grace of God you give birth, it ought to be a well baby. It ought to be born well. I want to ask you another question. Why did so many children cry all the time? You suppose a little child enjoys crying? You think a little child would rather cry than laugh? I don't either. Then why does he cry all the time? Why are little babies always miserable? Why is it they're restless and can't 
sleep and why they have so many infections. Why? I'll tell you why. It's mom and daddy. We haven't taught them how to eat and kept them well. It's normal for a little child to just play himself down and fall asleep in his place. Wake up! Full of energy. Why is your little babies quit eating? Mother Nature puts them on a fast. Miss Roloff keeps our little grandbaby Debbie a good deal. And uh, she's a very sweet little girl. But Miss Roloff sometimes comes and said, I can't get her to eat anything. I said, well, they're fast. She's got more sense than grown people. Amen? Sure. God cut her appetite off. Not hungry? Don't try to feed her. Let her go without. Little children ought to be taught to fast at an early age. You know why? It's because they get full of toxic poisons, and the way to get it out is to let them fast a little while, maybe a day. Give them a lot of good juice, you know. And man, somebody wrote me and said, I think you're horrible. You're cruel. You're brutal. Think about it. Killing little children. Oh, no. <laughs> Wish my mom had taught me to fast. I tell you what, Dr. B.W.D. Hill did. That old doctor came in and sat in that cane bottom chair and looked at me about five minutes, and I was about ready to die. I, I thought, well, why don't you do something? He just sat there and looked at me. He asked me two questions. He said, uh, Lester, uh, how about appetite? I said, I don't have any. I'm on a fast. I'm too sick to eat. I fasted. Man, my mama would have brought me even a, a little bowl of biscuit pudding, which I really loved a great deal the way she made it. It made me sick. I was on a fast. Mother Nature threw me on the face. I was so sick, I couldn't eat anything. The next thing he asked, you know what it was, don't you? Let me see your tongue. And I took out my tongue. He said, hmm? Brother, that, my tongue was his instrument. I mean, by that, he looked at my tongue and told me what was wrong with my foot. That's right. He knew. He said, you know what he told me one day? She said, Lester, she said, what have you been eating? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that happened to be the day that morning that I went down in the pecan grove and ate all them green pecans. Ooh, me. Talk about atomic energy. <laughs> that night, about nine o'clock, I want you to know, I was groaning and moaning, and my mother called Dr. B.W.D. Hill. And for many weeks after that, he'd see me on the street. He always loved us, and we loved him. A great old Christian physician. And he said, Lester, have you had any green pecans lately? <laughs> I said, no, sir, no more. Brother, I asked you a question. What have you been eating? That determines what kind of health you have. Here's the simple steps to health. Number one, the right kind of drinking water and liquid to keep the system clean on the inside. Number two, the right kind of nutrition. Number three, the right kind of exercise, I mean daily, D-A-I-L-Y, daily. Number four, the right kind of rest on a good hard bed or on the floor. And if you'll observe those four things, and now there are some things that will not bring health. The kind of bread we have is not the staff of life, it's the staff of death. Fruits juices, and so forth. You tend to offer costly? No. Wherever I go in revival campaigns, the preacher, one preacher got up and said, I believe this is the cheapest evangelist we've ever had. <laughs> you see, the thing that saved me a lot, I don't spend anything on doctor bills, drug stores. That's what saved me. I don't have any wasted time uh, while I lay, lay the bed while I'm sick. The average person is sick because he has afflicted himself. 
with what he's been eating. There's death. Now then, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this always is the answer, isn't it? And this suits me just fine. Verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now I'm going to give you some conclusions. Number one, weighs what we eat. Whatever cattle we eat, and I'd say a minimum of meat, but whatever we eat in the way of meat, let's raise it. The second thing I'd like to recommend, uncooked foods. More of it than ever before. Somebody said apple, they keep the doctor away. And somebody else's food enough to say an onion, they keep everybody away. But uh, that's not so. Brother, I tell you, let me say this right now. Apple, uh, onion and garlic. Onion and garlic was what the runners used to eat mostly. You know why? It builds your blood, and the life's in the blood. Don't be afraid of onion and garlic. Number three, just steam food. Don't boil it. Just don't cook your food to death. And so stay away from your meats, your sweets, and your starches. Man has taken food that God gives us and has taken the life out of it. Ah, listen, God's people need to learn where the death is. And most of us want to live. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Praise God, what I'm saying works, and you ought to practice it. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our Father, we thank thee now for the privilege of sharing the truth. And I know that the old carnal mind, it's old rebellious, and it loves tradition, custom, wants to be like the Joneses and the Smiths and everybody else. And we just dare not be different. We want to be like everybody else. And so, Lord, help us today to study the Word and see that there are some things unclean and there are other things that are clean. Help us to eat that which is clean. And, Lord, I think of Isaiah when he said, Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me. Eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Give us strength and health. And bless this message today. And all who heard it, and all the guests and radio friends, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. You may listen to the preaching and the special music of the Family Altar Program 24 hours a day when you visit our ministry website, roloff.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please write to us at Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. Again, that's Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. This broadcast is made possible by the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Thank you for partnering with us, and remember that Christ is the answer.